Oh, can we? T- well, we gotta talk about that on the mic. Can we talk about? Let's talk. Let's talk about that. That's what we're gonna start with because I just got excited about that. Sure, sure. Wait, why am I wasting? Why am I wasting all the good stuff? Uh, just me and you talking. And I'm the Jake's with Tony Show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Chris L. Terry. He's the author of Zero Fade, and his latest novel, Black Card, comes out on Catapult Press in August 2019. Chris, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm all right. Um, how's it feel having a book coming out? I mean, we're, we're like two, what are we, about two months out. When this, when this airs, it'll be July. So what's it feel like right now for you with your second book coming out? Um, nerve-wracking. Yeah. The good the good news is I just got the first couple of like first couple of reviews okay. and they were positive. So I was before I was in that nice bubble where everyone who I was talking to was literally invested in the book and they wanted it to succeed. So right. now people people that could shit on me haven't. Um, so let's hope that keeps up. So that's a positive. That's in, yeah. That, is that Kirkus and Publishers Weekly or who uh, is that with those? No, no Kirkus yet. Fingers okay. crossed. Um, okay. They were very kind to me last time. Publishers Weekly was nice, and uh, Nylon put the book on their top summer reads list. Yeah. Congratulations! Did you know that was coming? No clue. Just got the email one morning and was like, uh, what, uh, yeah. So that that uh, that, that, that was a happy sound for me in the morning. Uh, yeah, it was a good day. I got that last week, and I'm still kind of cruising off of that. I want, I want to sample that sound for a sex sound on something else. <laughs> I, I, but if you don't want me to attribute it, attribute it to you, it'll just be some random sound or just. Yeah. Oh, it depends who's having sex, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I was I was admiring your uh, tattoo on your arm, and uh, so uh, it's from a fortune cookie. Let tell tell the listeners what we have here. Yeah, I used to save all my fortunes that I got. Uh, it really? says you're heading for a land of sunshine. And I actually, I got the tattoo the first time I ever came to the West Coast. I was on tour with my band, and I got it in Oakland in 2002. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you the when and the where. Oakland and... Now, are you familiar with the Bay Area? Have you been there a lot? Or Not a ton. I went there to play music uh, two or three times, and I've been to visit a couple more times. But yeah. not... And I heard, I've heard it's changed radically in the last five years since the last wow. time I was there, too. So. Yeah, yeah. Wait, what was your band? What, what were you in? The band that did the most, the one that came out to California, was called Light the Fuse and Run, like what it says on Firecrackers. Okay. Um, yeah. So that was like my early 20s. We got to go around the U.S. a couple times and into Canada and tour Europe. Um, yeah. It was, a, it was a really good experience. Okay, cool. And that comes in with your book, Black Card, because our hero is in a band and essentially doing that is it so how much of your personal experience is black card uh, you know of course everyone's going to ask you this right yeah. that's the question that you get it's a novel tony but <laughs> at the same time i still want to ask sure um i mean so the, the book is fiction uh i'd say that the the street the street names and the emotions are real um thank you thank you i I, i've been trying to think how to approach this because you can't like put a number i can't be like well it's a 64 percent true you know oh, okay. but um it, it isn't 64%. I don't know what the number is. I mean, I could tell you that I, in the early 2000s, uh, was a uh, mixed-race black person playing in punk bands in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. So it's definitely authentic in, in certain ways like that. But, right. yeah. I, I mean, and reading the experience, it, I, it felt like it could have been your experience, especially especially some of the, some of the slurs that um, I have never heard in my life. I'm trying to remember one. Afropuff? Is that what... 
Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? That was a hit rap song in the mid '90s. Do you, really? Do you remember no, Lady of Rage? She's actually a rapper from Virginia, and the song it was okay. like "Rough and Tough" with my Afro puffs. Go oh, on with your bad okay. self. Yeah. It's a fucking good song. She can rap her ass off. All right. Yeah. So, so it, it was, that was that that was degrading to our hero though in the book, right? No, no it was. I think it was just uh, an example of a kind of larger thing where that, that I come back to a lot in the book. I guess one of the themes, the idea that if you're the character is kind of unusual looking and ethnically ambiguous, so people are often trying to categorize him. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and that, you know, as the story goes on, that it gets more and more dangerous as he gets uh, racially profiled with this police case. Yeah. Which is quite timely. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, it's always been quite timely. That's the pisser. But yeah, yeah. Because oh, now we actually have, um, like, more, uh, more awareness of it, but it's always been around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it wasn't like uh, the Rodney King thing was the only bit of police brutality that happened right, in the early right. 90s. It just happened to be someone with a big fucking camcorder there at the time. Exactly. <laughs> they, I'm laughing. But yeah. yeah. No, they, 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 that does make sense because there wasn't access to pull out a phone that has a video camera on it. We had to pull out huge things where you stuck VHS tapes in them. But even before that, it was Betamax. <laughs> You'd have to lug around about, you know, 150 pounds worth of equipment. If you wanted to just, if you happened on some utterly awful thing on the street and you're like, I got to document this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so I think people have to be, people can be potentially held more accountable now, a lot more quickly, a lot more easily. I mean, we still see that, you know, there are still are oftentimes not a lot of consequences. Um, the police tend to get away with killing people. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wait, we're... we're it, I just feel like America's still like the the old West, where it's just like we got our guns, and we got our horses. What? And it's like, when are we going to get out of that phase? I don't know. Yeah. I, oof. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> maybe in a couple of weeks. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be nice, huh? Yeah. It's not not my life. I think this is definitely a good time to be living in a liberal bubble like Los Angeles. You know. Yeah. I've realized all I've done is like I, San Francisco and Los Angeles are my only reference points, where. It's to the point where I kind of think I need to understand what it's like not to be in a liberal bubble or not, not to understand it, but to, but to go those places and um, just see how I feel. And because people are like, oh, yeah, land is cheap over in Idaho. And I'm like, but I don't know if I can hang. Yeah. The first time I went to Idaho, I saw people with swastika tattoos at Walmart. Oh like, God. yeah, I mean. I think that's kind of, for people roughly in our age group, and, and definitely younger too, I think we're on the older side of the youth culture, uh, us yeah, middle-aged yeah. men, yeah. Um, I think that's like the big conundrum, is you could either fucking own property and live around Trump voters, or not. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd rather just live in my little studio in East Hollywood and <laughs> do my thing. Um, us middle-aged men. That's my next. That's going to be the podcast name. I think that is such an amazing podcast. That that's or or film. There's something there. Us middle-aged men. It's just like lots of groaning noises while people stand up. <laughs> you know, I I don't like. I think my parents, my grandparents, groaned a lot more than I did. I don't feel like I'm like the groaning guy. That I don't know. Or maybe maybe I just maybe I just don't have a relationship right now. That when I do have another significant other, she'll be like, "You groan a lot." So. Yeah, um, my, yeah. My wife is is a professor, and she's out of work for the summer. And I was like, 
realized I was loudly doing yoga pretty near her while she was trying to edit a video this morning, and I was like, oh, okay, I think I am getting loud. Wow, <laughs> so, like, yeah, yeah. You're not really aware of it until there is someone around you. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. That makes so much sense. They, it's, it, it's, it's, I, I, you know, because I, I was like married for such a long time, and then I had a couple long-term relationships, and now I've been single for a while, and then I'm starting to think, am I turning into that weird single middle-aged man, dude? Like, it, is, it, does that happen? You know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I've been with Sharon since MySpace was a thing. We've been together since I was like 25. So yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty weird, but I'm, I'm not single. Thank goodness. Right. Yeah. There's something about a lady in my life that really keeps me in check. And I don't know if I'm keeping myself in check as much as I should be. Um, did, what, how, did, how did you meet? Did you meet on MySpace? Uh, no, no. Oh, okay. um, actually, I met her like shortly after I moved to New York. We had some friends in common. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I went out to eat with some some friends, and she was the only stranger there, and we hit it off. I was like, I, yeah, I, I, she's from Virginia. I left Virginia, like, I got to get away from these people. And, like, yeah. what do you know, literally the next day in New York, I meet someone from Virginia, and now we're wow. married. Wow. Yeah, I don't need to get away from her. <laughs> how, now, how long did it take for you to, uh, did, did you ask her out that night, or did it did you take a little while? See, you didn't know this was a relationship show, did you? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, no, we, we started dating about a month later. Yeah, we just we ended up hanging out a couple more times and getting along. Yeah. And then did you like did you go, "Hey, would you like to go out with me or would you like to go steady with me?" Or did something just happen and you're like, "You know, this feels right." Yeah, I mean, me and my uh, my doo-wop band just like stood on the corner and waited for her to pass by <laughs> and then um, <laughs> when she did no, we made out outside of a pop punk show, okay. and yeah, it's just been good ever since. Do you remember what band? I went to see J Church actually. Actually, oh my god, yeah. San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rest yeah. in peace, Lance Hahn. Yeah. Wow, that, that that's rad. So you you met at, you met at a great show. Well, we, we started dating at a great you, show. You said, oh, the the makeout was a great show. Yeah. So <laughs> we met at Kate's Joint in the East Village, okay. which, if you want to keep music geek, and I think one of the women from Luscious Jackson owned that. It was like a vegetarian restaurant. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, um, so, so it's so intriguing. Does Jay Church know that they had a part in this long relationship where your kids might not exist right now if it wasn't for Jay Church? If it wasn't for Jay Church? I think so. Um, yeah, we're, some of the people that were in the band with Lance at the time are friends of ours from Virginia. Um, so I think, I think that they're aware. Oh, yeah, and actually, and then, like, another friend busted us kissing. Yeah, they must know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> busted you kissing. <laughs> totally busted now your kids are gonna start busting you kissing right man yeah like a year ago i remember he were i hugged her in the kitchen while he was eating breakfast and he's like stop being married you guys he was three at the time i'm like man it's only gonna get worse yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so cute i mean yeah i remember my parents like kissing and it's just like it's something you never want to think about <laughs> at the same time it's why we're on this earth me and you are because our parents kissed oh once yeah. but yeah. what is it what is it that that makes it disgusting for us i don't know or maybe that's just me i don't know i don't know i, I don't know what it is um but yeah but we should be celebrating it and going thank you Thank you for doing that. Well, if they kiss too much, then maybe some competition will show up and we'll have some siblings, you know? Oh, right. <laughs> I, exactly. I wonder if there's some, some deep-rooted greed like that. that oh, the factors in, I don't, That was my first thought. I don't know what that says about my psyche. but Right. There, yeah, um, because you're like, hey, I want you guys to myself. If you keep doing that, you might make another something that comes from a stork. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. or maybe deep down it's like, I, 
I want to be doing that, but not with y'all and seeing oh, you do it. Right. You know, it, yeah, I don't know. Because mom and dad are get, like, if you're a teenager and mom and dad are getting more action than you are, but they're <laughs> uncool, yeah. that's like the worst conundrum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, fuck, my parents have totally done it and I haven't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that's the realization where you're just like, I'm a virgin and my parents are, but my parents are the stupidest people on earth right. when you're a kid. Right, right. <sighs> oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> are your parents still alive or? Yeah, they are. They've been married for almost 50 years now. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're both in their early 70s. Yeah. Yeah. And are they still in Virginia? No, they're actually in the Boston area now. My mom is from up there. My dad is from Richmond. Um, yeah, they moved back up there in 2012. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, I mean, they must be stoked about the book. They, yeah, they are. My mom is a children's librarian, so oh, yeah. I mean, she's always been very supportive of my writing. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think they pretty early on were like, yeah, you're definitely a creative type, and that's probably what the best path for you like oh that's sweet yeah they were so it, it wasn't any sort of drama of like well we wanted you to be an accountant or a doctor right. or something they're like yeah it's not going to work for you we can tell oh, yeah wow. that's awesome see i was supposed to be a preacher of the bible and yeah. and then here i am yeah we we're they're like more hippies we weren't i didn't grow up religious at all um yeah so oh that's cool they were they were um like hippies you mean the, they were just kind of like live free kind of thing uh I mean, they're just they're just both real progressive. Like my mom went to Woodstock, um, so she was definitely like around for the quintessential hippie shit. Wait, wait, yeah. did mom and dad meet at Woodstock and kiss there? There might be a pattern. <laughs> no, yeah, at a, at a Cringer show instead of a J Church show. <laughs> no, no, they they met a couple years later. Um, yeah, my my dad uh, he went to college in Boston, and after well, this is a story. He um, so my dad is my black parent, my mom is my white parent, um, and my dad he went to Harvard. Um, as a black man in the 1960s. And then after he avoided the Vietnam drafts by becoming a Coast Guard recruiter, uh-huh. um, because they were looking to diversify, and we're pretty much like, well, if you do this, you can be an officer, and we can hit our diversity quota, okay. and you can do whatever the hell you want, because we won't fire you. Yeah. And he didn't believe in the war, and he right. would pretty much tell people not to join. Yeah. Um, but he was doing, out doing that one night and uh, met my mom. Wow. Yeah. The, um for him to be at Harvard at that time, that was that was that huge. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've been it, honestly, it's still hitting me like some of the momentousness of that. Like he he grew up in the Jim Crow South as a black man, um, and yeah, went to an Ivy League school in the 1960s. Yeah. Uh, before, I guess before the Civil Rights Act was signed, right? I, I believe. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. Or right around then. Yeah, and also his both of his parents are college educated, and they went to HB. Well. You call it a HBC, like a historically black college or university. It was just a black college at the time. Okay. They went to Virginia Union and Virginia State, which are both uh, small colleges near Richmond. Yeah. Yeah. So like in the 1930s, my grandparents were black people going to college. And it's embarrassing how old I was before I realized that that was a huge fucking deal because it was just normal to me, you know? Yeah, yeah. 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 Wow, that's intriguing. I just interviewed um, C.J. Farley, who went to Harvard. He's, a, he's another writer. And he was on uh, the, the Harvard Lampoon. But he was one of the first black guys to be um, in the editorial side of it. I can't remember because this was a <laughs> this is two months ago. But we talked a lot about um, what he was noticing at Harvard and how it was just like, wait a second, there's no black dudes in the comedy magazine, and he went right that way. So. Huh? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, it's if you Boston. You couldn't be further away from Los Angeles uh, yeah. and still be in the country, you know. But it's different. It is. Um, yeah, it, it, 
it's one of those things where you hear talk about it being, oh, it's it's getting more and more diverse. It's like, oh, you have like a lot of people from all over Asia at MIT. It's like, there still aren't any black people. You know, it's right, that kind right. of, we got diversity, but no black people. Yeah. Yeah. Except for New Edition. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is New Edition from there? They are. Yeah. They're all from, from the Boston area. Yeah. yeah. I, I, and and um, wasn't Kid, New Kids on the Block are from there too, right? Or Yeah. Yeah. Um, new, yeah. So Mari Starr, who was like their music producer that first had... Uh, new edition when things started to peter out i think they actually felt like he was ripping them off and then we're like fuck you maury star bye he then he's like well if we do the same thing with some white kids i can make even more money and so new kids on the block yeah and actually um after new kids the next group he tried to do was for his son it was called perfect gentleman um i'm sorry if that one didn't work out because i haven't heard of it they were kind of a one to two hit wonder. Okay. They were a really big deal for me because one of the guys in Perfect Gentleman actually went to my grade school. So suddenly it was like, Corey doesn't go to school here anymore because he's a pop singer. Wow. Yeah. And now, is, were you in Virginia at that point? No, this is in the Boston area. Yeah, we lived up there until I was 15. Okay. Yeah. It's funny because now, because it's weird living in L.A. now. And then when you when people have grown up here, that's such a normal occurrence where it's just like, oh, yeah, he's got a TV show. But like from us, where we're not from here, and like if that happens to somebody, that's like, oh my god, I knew that person, you know. You're right. That's totally not a flex here in Los Angeles, is it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was it was huge at the time. I mean, I was a music geek. This was like 1989, 1990. I was like listening to the you know the top 40, the countdown every week, right. and then like here's a guy that I knew from school on there. Wow. Was, yeah. You know, it was like, and at the time it was like I either want to do that or you know be a pro athlete. And yeah. uh, well, neither of those worked out. And that's probably for the better. But yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what was it that uh, What was it that sparked you on the writing track? Uh, well, I guess you were in a band too, so you you're, you've hit the creativity on all levels. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it was I, I learned how to read pretty quickly. That yeah. was like the pretty clearly like the thing I had an aptitude for at school. Yeah. I guess, and you know, obviously, I was encouraged at home since my mom is a librarian. Um, Oh, that's I, I just can I just gush over how awesome that would be if one of my parents was a librarian. Libraries essentially saved my life. I just love everything about the library. I still go to the library all the time, and people like people go, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I got your book at the library. I didn't buy it." I'm like, "No, please go to the library. That's what you're supposed to do. Thank you." You know? Yeah, same. I I take my kid to the to our local branch like every three weeks, pretty much. We get new books. It's one of our main bonding things. Yeah, I, no, I, I love libraries. Um, yeah, and I, I get the, some of the biggest kind of geeking feelings when I see my book on the shelf at a branch. Um, yeah. Oh, um, so reading was definitely, literature was in the air at home, you could yeah. say. But like the first time that I really cared about homework or a school assignment, um, I'm one of those, like, if I'm interested and I'm into it, I'm just completely dialed in. And if not, you can, I can't drag myself to do it, people. Um, so, uh, but the first time I really gave a shit about homework was we had to write a story in third grade. And I think I kind of wanted to be a writer ever since. Um, really? Yeah, and kind of enjoyed writing papers in high school. And yeah. was an English major in college. And even when I was in a band, you know, it was like, I suspect that this isn't going to turn me into a like worldwide rock star type of person. And I don't really want to be uh, the old guy who's still trying to rock. You know, I was very conscious of there being the line where it's like, all right, I work in a kitchen when I'm not on tour with my band. But eventually, I'm going to be like... like uh, alcoholic dishwasher who rocks out every couple months like there's you know you got to get that ratio right and it really it starts to slip at some point in your late 20s and i didn't want to be the old guy at the party or start having that happen that's really self-aware especially in your 20s when you're um when you're in a band because i i would assume the other band members were like we're gonna go we're going all the way we're motley crewing this thing 
Well, no, I mean, it, it was, it, we were, you know, underground punk, so it was at least on the surface a little more humble than that. Okay. But, I mean, everyone had lives outside of there, and my bandmates are all, like, my former bandmates from that era are all doing, like, most of them are doing grown-up stuff now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we got a middle school teacher in the mix. We got a IT guy, you know, EMT. Yeah. Do you guys ever uh, go, hey, we, we just got to do, like, a, a reunion show for shits and giggles? No. No. <laughs> like, we're, it isn't, like, bad blood. It's just, at this point, we're, you know, adults, and the logistics, I think, are a pain in the ass. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it hasn't come up. Yeah. What was touring like? Because uh, essentially, I'm assuming you were in a, a van that was hopefully not going to break down and trying just trying to get to gigs sure. when you toured. Uh, we broke down. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was we. It was you know spending most of the day driving from one place to another, um, and then like you have this just dead time of a couple hours between when you arrive and when the show begins. Then you play and kind of that kind of blows off the steam and then go to sleep and it's really monotonous like I feel like I've been to almost everyone's hometown and I might have like gotten drunk in their hometown but I haven't seen a couple of the quint- the quintessential attractions you know it's like my memory of Tulsa Oklahoma was like I played wiffle ball with some people and watched some people snorting speed off a coffee table um, but you know I haven't seen the I don't know what the big attraction is in Tulsa but I sure as shit haven't seen it yeah I um I knew people from Tulsa and it it sounded like it was kind of a um a cool like for for that t- part of America a cool alternative scene like there in like Lawrence Kansas would be like hip I don't know but I haven't I the the if if I've gone east of California it's been to Europe so <laughs> I haven't I've done it wrong <laughs> oh yeah, but Tulsa I mean this is based off my one night spent there in two thousand three or something yeah, like. Yeah. I had there was something in the air where it was like you know some fucked up stuff could happen here and that can lead to some good art like that was my that was my feeling and Richmond had a similar thing in the air at that time like and especially when I was younger and in high school it was like it, Richmond and Gary Indiana which is a small city like where the Jacksons are from um, is about half an hour outside of Chicago like they were always neck and neck for per capita murder rates yeah um, so Richmond was definitely like really uh like dangerous and depressed but also had this vibrant art scene yeah yeah did you ever see that movie breaking away which one is that is you look at the, the, how was that for a smash cut and it, it was like i should have put the jeopardy theme there um <laughs> there's this movie that i just brought it up because it's it took place in gary i think it's in gary indiana where and it's uh, it was in the 70s this movie but it was about bicycling and um I'm going on. I'm going way too on and on about a movie that's probably not that great, but it just it, it meant so much to me as a kid. Cause, yeah. but um, yeah, I think they were in Gary, Indiana. I think that's the reason why I know it. And then plus, uh, is that about BMXers or something? No, no. This is a bicyclist, like a guy who was into um, uh, Tour de France type bicycling, and so he was like trying to learn Italian. He, it was all about him. Dennis Quaid was in it. It was one of Dennis Quaid's first films. Yeah, and he was all about like. <laughs> Oh, I, the Italians have everything. They're great. He was learning opera. He was shaving his legs. His dad's like, so he's like, what is happening to our son? So <laughs> that's funny. Now, I, I think I know that name is one of those like kind of quintessential Gen X movies yeah, that yeah. I just didn't see in 1986 and therefore probably will never watch. Right, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's probably about the time I saw it because I, I was too young to see it when it came out. But I think it did get like Oscar noms or something. It was there. There was. 
there was buzz at the time. You know, now none of us remember. Like everything else in life, when everything we're into right now, 40 years from now, what, what are they going to take away? It'll be like, oh, John Wick 3, something else came out that year? Yeah, yeah. It's, I think about that, especially when I'm doing like music geeking or something, where it's like, you know what, the like cool music from the... The average person like wasn't driving around with like the the cool music that record geeks like from 1970 isn't what people were actually listening to then you know they don't have like odyssey and oracle or whatever like that's just something that we kind of dusted off now or yeah i'm I'm trying to think of other like like they they, like they had helen ready on a track but they want to pretend like uh they had uh the stooges bingo yeah yeah (laughs) you got it man yeah (laughs) us middle-aged men (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the um I, as so i mean when your first book came out what were your parents just stoked i i just i keep going back on like because i because it's just so much fun seeing people's parents um when when we're like we're authors i guess i'm going off of my experience too because my parents are like how the hell did you do that because they didn't go to college i didn't go to college and then all of a sudden you're in this weirdness. It's very, it's very other to me. Maybe I'm pushing my own uh, experience on you. No, I mean, it's my, my, my parents seem proud. It's, yeah. It, yeah, they seem very proud and excited. Um, yeah. I think there's also it's like the 10% like crap. Is he going to like write about us in this book? Oh um, yeah, 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 yeah. I had one essay that actually talked about how my parents met and some other stuff about my family, and I got some stuff wrong, and my mom was pissed. And ever since then, there's been kind of the element of, like, a little bit of a, there's been a, a nervous undercurrent of, like, what's, what's going to be in this one? What's it going to say? You know? Um, but I don't think there's anything too scandalous in this fictional novel that's coming out in, right. in two months. Yeah. The, see, I'm the opposite. I, I just, my, my poor parents, I just tear right into them in my writing. And, the, yeah, and, the, and my mom, my, the, and something came up earlier this year, my mom's my mom was like talking about something and she goes, please don't write about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember I went to visit my folks, I don't know, I, at some point in the last five years and like my dad made a joke and my mom's like, watch it, Chris is going to write about it. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, spare me. Yeah. yeah. No, my thing is if you tell me not to write about it, that means one, it's juicy. Two, it's scary. Three, I got to. <laughs> yeah. Actually, this joke just wasn't that funny and I was like, you were just, you were just waiting to give me some shit. I can tell. Yeah. So here I am just flexing on you on a podcast right now, mom. What can you say? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's unedited. Do you think your parents will listen to this? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. What did they think when, uh, did you give them the info about the nylon, um, the nylon article? Uh, ping in your book for summer reads? Yeah, yeah. I'm, um, I'm, I'm more in like frequent touch with my mom. She's, oh. she texts. <laughs> okay. um, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I have like a group chat with her and my sister. And my mom was was psyched. Yeah. Yeah. Does that just happened like a week ago, or is it? Yeah, that was that was Friday. So almost oh. a week ago. Well, you got to be. You have to ride that for like until book release, I think. You have to what ride that? Like ride that, like ride that just well, high. Okay. Now it's like this is a good thing, but hopefully there's more good things. Right, you know, every right. good thing kind of feels like it could be the last good thing. Yeah. And then I kind of try to find the uh, bad part of the good thing too, right. just to keep myself in check. You know? Yeah. I I got mentioned in Vanity Fair, and and that and that was like, I was going, I think I made it. You know? And this was uh, what nine years ago. Right. Yeah, yeah. And no, I didn't. <laughs> I was telling one of my friends at work, it's like all this stuff. And, you know, I was literally like the dude in L.A. who was sitting in a cafe talking about his agent the other day. But like, yeah. I also need this job. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not fancy. You know? Right, right. Yeah. I, I'm also looking for a gig. 
<laughs> do you, do you, oh, you really? You need a PA for your uh, film for your film your short film? I I can I'll I'll, I'll meet you next week and work on the film for a week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's yeah, everything every good thing feels very fleeting. Sorry if yeah. I'm sorry if I'm getting to I don't know if that's nihilism or Buddhism or what, but I I think it's well I think it's realism when it comes to being authors and writers because we really got to put in the hard work and I think people see it as glamorous but they don't see how much of the blood sweat tears guts comes and then we have a book finished and then it gets even worse because it has to be good and then here we are and you're here with a with a product that's about to go out which uh, for me emotionally that freaks me out because I'm like wait that was personal now it's no longer mine I don't know if you uh, am I stressing you out right now no, I mean it's good to talk about this because yeah. a lot of the stuff goes on in my mind. I actually I don't have that big that sort of sense of loss of control that, okay. that worries me. I think my wife is a filmmaker, and I've thought about that before. Like when we go when she's in a film festival, she makes like experimental short films. Yeah, yeah. So there's you know there's a ten minute period where she's sitting in a dark room with like dozens or hundreds of other people right. who are all experiencing her art, and they don't. And she can't control their experience. She's just completely at the mercy of whatever sounds she hears, whatever kind of feel she gets from the room at the time. You know, if I'm doing a reading or if we were, when my band was playing a show, like if we sense that the audience is, that we're losing the audience, you can, you can change some stuff. You can read or play differently, skip some songs, skip ahead. Um, you can't do that with a short film. Yeah. So, the, I mean, the book is out there. Luckily, like, it's at the point where I'm just fucking tired of it. Like... <laughs> So I don't feel like I want to change anything at this yeah. point. I'm, you know, maybe I could get a really insightful review that had a criticism that would make me reconsider it. But like, yeah. I mean, in 2016, I got to the point where I was like, I can't work on this anymore. Let's find an agent because I need some help. Yeah. And then I worked on it with him for like nine months. Oh, did you? And then we sold it. So that was 2017. And then I did a couple rounds of edits then too. Yeah. So it's like, I'm, it was at the point, right before they did the hardcover, they sent the hardcover to, pr- to press. They were like, do you want to proofread this one last time? And I'm like, ah, you know and then I did and I caught a couple things that needed to be changed so yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I got the chance but I'm ready to be to have it just be a thing and kind of have that control taken away from me if that makes sense yeah totally makes sense um and the other thing is I it cracks me up because I used to think I used to think this as a as a young naive myself and I'm still young and I, well, I'm older and naive us middle-aged men but um I used to think like an author puts a book out and they're like oh man and they go home and they read their own book and in the end it's the last thing you ever want to do is read your own book it's it, I, when I had to adapt the screenplay for Jesus Jerk I had to read the book and that was traumatic <laughs> I was like wait a second maybe this isn't the greatest idea to adapt my own book you know yeah I, I, I don't that's, I wonder if I, I guess if I had more distance I and I returning the book would be hard but right now I pretty much I don't have it memorized but you know like I know what happens right. I think if I were I, I don't want to read Zero Fate again I'm scared that I would like hate the prose or just not like it I don't ever want to hear my old bands and it's not that I think that any of it is like bad necessarily but it's just kind of embarrassing or even like um, 
I, uh, I was interviewed for another podcast a couple weeks ago. I've been cheating on you, Tony. Um, oh, with who? No, I, I love podcasts. Who? What podcast was it on? Uh, Razor Cake Magazine, like oh, okay. punk magazine here yeah, um, yeah. that I write for. They interviewed me, and after Todd, the, the founder, was like, "Do you want to?" There were a couple issues with the fidelity with the audio. Do you want to listen? And I was like, "No." Yeah. I just listened to about ninety seconds of it just to make sure that it was audible, and was yeah. like, "Yeah, that's about all." I hate the sound of my voice. Yeah. I, I actually do the same thing with drinks with Tony. I don't listen. I, that's why uh, when we're recording live, we're recording live, so I don't have to listen to it and edit it. And I just look at the levels and I adjust the levels. I'll listen to some of it just to make sure, but um, I don't want to be too self-conscious when I go to the next interview. I because I'll just listen to it and go, oh God, that, I'm just I'm an idiot. Why did I ask that question? And if I second guess it, then uh, then I'll have a problem. And and then maybe then the other problem is I might get better oh yeah yeah god forbid yeah yeah I mean it's, it's kind of I want to focus on the next thing I want to do the next thing instead of and even seeming like too caught up in what I had made before I feel like might hinder the next idea <clears throat> does that make sense it totally makes sense um, no because I understand even with I've been I've been trying to uh, go through this in my head with uh, the film coming out for Jesus Jerk and when it was in post-production the, the major depression I went through that I didn't even realize I was going through and it was uh, and how much it affected me and how much it affected like I, I could I wish I had done things differently and had more distance but I uh, while it was out of my control you know and I didn't do it that way now I'm ready for the next one hopefully there will be <laughs> yeah man <clears throat> excuse me some iced tea went down the wrong way oh did it yeah well, tell, tell me more about that. Like, what was, what were you, when did you have the depression and what was that like centered around? So your podcast is called Us Middle-Aged Men, so we'll just switch it to you now. <laughs> You're the no, 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 no. I'm, I'm curious. I'm, 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 no, no, I'm, 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 I'm messing with you. Um, it was, so, because, you know, this was so tied into my life and my identity. So this, this wasn't, I mean, yeah, this was a work of fiction. And when people go, well, how much of it was real? I can say like 70%. It's... It's to the point where should we make this a memoir or should we make this a novel? And it was enough where I was like, let's keep it novel. And um, then we went to, you know, then we're in, then we were, then I got to, then I wrote the screenplay and worked on that. And and Eric was amazing through all of that. And he, and he was amazing because he let me on set when producers were, you know, ego, egomaniacal producers were trying to keep me off set. And Eric was championing me. He's like, no, we need you do not leave my side and I'm like got it um, and so there was so much like beauty but at the same time there was a I think there was just like an existential crisis of wait a second my dreams have come true right. and what do I do and then and then I'm happy with the final cut which I've talked right. to other um, writers and uh, filmmakers who've had their stories told on the screen who are not happy with the final cut and then I complain to them, and they're like, shut the fuck up. You love your final cut. And then I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, damn it. It's, it's been this weird up and down. Now I'm at this, like, gracious point with it. Yeah. But at the same time, at the same time, it was so much fun. I only saw the final cut three times. And, um, and you know, one of the times I was, like, listening through the first act to make sure that the jokes hit. I was making sure the jokes were landing, yeah. and I was like, I, you know, I knew a joke was coming. I'd sit there, and they would laugh, and I'd, yeah, all right, we yeah, got it. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, that's that's attributed to also Eric, the the awesome performances and our, the amazing editors too. There's just so much involved. Yeah. And yeah. so your wife, I under, I completely understand your wife, with ten minutes of work, 
with years of painstaking yeah. trying to get it in and you're in an audience where you can't change a thing and it's just it's uh, it's yeah anyway here we are i i feel like i'm still kind of depressed about it but i'm, sure. I'm happy to be with you yeah <laughs> i am too i'm excited to see the movie i'm thinking yeah. about that too like i'm kind of in the middle of a decent draft of my third book and it's yeah. like i just keep not quite being able to get my head into it because like yeah, and, it, and it's a depressing feeling. It's a stressful feeling, yeah. and, and it's partially because I'm busy doing stuff for Black Card, right. um, and also just doing uh, also fucking job hunting, yeah. you know. But it's like, man, I, I really wish that I could could be pressing more, pressing forward on this more. I put a lot of pressure on myself. I think it's because I even I want the romantic notion of we just have our we have our dog that sits on our lap, we have our chair, we have our pipe, and we read for four hours a day, and we write for six hours a day. And then we go join our fellow writers for a little bit of cognac at the cafe afterwards, and we go to sleep. Yeah, I, yeah. I always say the dream is that I'd found the non-existent part of Big Sur where black people live and like sit on a rock and write poems all day or something. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> that, would, I, that would just be beautiful. We what? Maybe we need to start the us middle-aged men, and it's just it's it's the. It's the two-hour shift somewhere, and it's just every day where we just we have a cognac or a ginger beer and just ruminate about the day. Even though we didn't get to write all day, we had to do our day jobs, and we, and we had to hustle, and we were weeping when we got rejected. But we could pretend like none of that happened. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want the rumination. I want, I want the, the focus and the, the forward motion right now. That's what I'm really like. Oh, yeah. I need this. I, yeah. I, f I feel like I'm currently doing the like I've done 20% of the five different things I want to do yeah. you know I just want to have 100% of something done sorry if this is like turning into the type A files or something but, uh, <laughs> no no this is just real talking this is yeah this is this is this is what happens when a microphone throws in your face in a, in a uh, cafe in Los Feliz that's true yeah <laughs> um have you uh, like I have, especially having a filmmaker wife? Does she look at your book and go, "Oh my god, this this could be a screenplay"? This uh, I have thoughts, or how does that work? Um, we had an offer for an option of the okay. book, um, which it's n not nearly signed yet. So yeah. I'm just going to pretend like it's not happening. But my wife That's was like, do, yeah. "My good, it's good, good." Yeah. Um, Sharon, my wife was just like, "Yeah, I could see how this would make a good TV series. The way that it's structured, um, it has a good kind of." like over arc and then there's things that you know there's yeah. like maybe like eight things that happen that could be an episode you know yes. yeah so she, she was thinking about it like that and seeing it like that yeah. um, I didn't write it intentionally like that but yeah. I try to write really visually one of the main um, things that they talked about it where I went to grad school at Columbia College Chicago was like see it while you write just be really visual picture it all happening in your head yeah. and hopefully that resonates with people who read it and yeah. maybe makes them picture it as a television show or a movie or something yeah yeah I, I mean when i was reading it i saw the scenes i mean one that sticks out is when the cop uh, pulls him over with the bicycle mm -hmm. and um and i'm like what happened to the bicycle what happened you know i was the guy that was worried about the bicycle part you know i, I don't want to give away anything else any other plot points but then i was like how did that happen wait where no no and then so and then you you know you uh what do you call it? you you, you you wrapped up those little things I was asking in my head, but um, but those but I saw the scenes. I mean, I saw those scenes, and that I can I can easily see it as a TV show. What's interesting though is like the options. You know, you got to sit there and go, eh, whatever. But man, and at the same time, in my head, when I'm looking at stuff or when I'm writing stuff, I'm like, I already I see it on the I see it on the big screen, and I'm accepting my Oscar. 
<laughs> and I think I need to put that delusion in me so I keep going forward. I don't know if that's the case. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I immediately you know, got that offer. It was like, oh, yeah, I just paid off my student loans. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Which isn't the case, you know. Yeah, yeah but uh, yeah, I, I definitely have those, that ideal life that could potentially happen, you yeah. know, down payment on a home. No one in my family owns property. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah pay off the student loans. Yeah, it, yeah. Mm, that'd be nice. Yeah, yeah. I've always and I always want my like if I do like an Academy Award speech or an Emmy speech, you know, I always want it. I always want it to be like the people that I'm pissed at. You motherfucker! You you piece of shit! Third third grade teacher! You said I had no no talent. Well, you look at me now. You know, just I, I want to be the anti gratitude guy up there. I think we need more of that. I I think so too. There's yeah yeah. I, I try to be very thankful, just, no, I, just, I, I, just in the day to day. But yeah, it's, it, it, I don't, I don't know. I don't watch award shows, and I, I, yeah. I hate the like. It, it just the people talking about the acceptance speeches that people give. I'm like, I just, I just, I'm just not buying it or feeling it. And yes. anything that's supposed to be like inspiring, just, it just seems totally disingenuous to me yeah. for some reason. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's like me being a terrible nihilistic generation Xer or something, but. Well, I might be the same way because essentially, I mean, we know it's all marketing. It's all political push when they were when they're getting to award ceremony. We see the billboards all over town for your consideration, for your consideration. So when they get out there to do the speech, we know they got to be on point and they have to be thanking the right people because what they're worried about is getting the next gig. Yeah, they're interviewing for their next job. That's yeah. true. Yeah, man. Yeah. So we're really fortunate we're not in that position, and we can just talk shit about people we hate. <laughs> I, I I try to keep that to myself. I try to I try to just just share the nice stuff, except yeah, yeah. for oh, I, I keep it to myself. I mean, tell my wife all of it. But yeah. no, we, we have to have we have to have our um, we have to have our confidants. Yeah. The you know it's it's because it's really intriguing. Like we were talking about social media, where people will say I, I see younger people doing this they'll be like man that bitch Carissa she did this this and this and I'm like sitting there going whoa you just put that on social media talk to your friends I mean yeah I have I've had I've had those times where I gotta go talk to my friends when I feel betrayed but I don't put it on the yeah, on the pop up in your memories in 10 years or something yeah, yeah. Or, e or even to bring in so many people on my drama who cares about my drama? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I feel like I'm definitely not interesting and don't have much to say. Yeah. I mean, so by all means, check out my book. Um, <laughs> no, but well, no, that's why we're that's why we're authors is because we put it to the book and we put the we put those emotional struggles and everything and we we tincture it into that and throw the conflict in there. Yeah. That um that most conflict we're trying to avoid during the day we throw it into our writing. Yeah, and I'm so happy that I have that outlet. I mean, I feel like. Yeah, between that and running, my brain is a lot quieter, you know? Yeah. How, how, do you run a lot? I go, yeah, I run three times a week. I do, like, anywhere from, like, four to seven miles. Wow. Yeah, and then I also I also learned how to swim a few years ago, so I swim laps once. But I figure that'll be, like, my backup if my knee gets fucked up. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I, exercise really clears my mind. I'm pretty, um, I'm a very, like, regimented person. I like a schedule, and I'm yeah. also, like, pretty nervy. So it helps blow off a lot of that steam. I feel like I'm kinder and more focused. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The swim. Um, when you say you learned the swim, did you not like? If you would have been thrown in the water, would you have been drowned, or is just you needed to learn uh, the technique? 
I, I needed it was more technique. I could not die for a couple of minutes and was totally sufficient with that. But I was about to become a parent and also was just wanted to learn how to swim laps yeah. as a way to kind of vary my exercise. So I took lessons. It was real humbling. It was um, <laughs> it was at the college gym where I go and I was like one of the someone this like 19 year old from the water team from the from the swim team rather who like held all these records for the school was trying to teach me how to crawl stroke and everything and is just disgusted with me. <laughs> He's just like. Those middle-aged men. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and here we are, and us middle-aged men. I'm here with Chris L. Terry. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that so much. I, I swear I got to make a podcast about that, and and, and 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 we'll have to work together on that, and we'll just dive into the um, the 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 joys of being middle-aged. Sure. I mean, there's so much to talk about. You know, like how you can really make an event out of taking out the trash. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's something great about taking out the trash because not only are you taking out the trash, but you're making your wife happy. And there's a double like that, you know, not making her happy. You're just not making her mad. And so there's like double <laughs> gratitude there, you know, that's good. Yeah. Man, the bar is low. If it's like, I'm just trying to not make my spouse mad today. <laughs> I, I, I felt like I, I felt like when I was married, there was a, a lot of that was, oh, you know what? Let's make sure she's not mad at this, this, and this, and then my day will go okay. Wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you wonder why I'm divorced? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was gonna let you say it. Yeah. <laughs> You're so polite. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't believe that my wife has been putting up with me for the last 15 years. I think yeah. our yeah, I think our weirdness is kind of complement each other in good ways isn't it fun to be just like uh, that's the fun part of relationships is you find out each other's just weird um weird stuff that you're not going to tell anyone else but you got your own weirdness and then we we you come together and it's just like okay we're both weird in this way and i could deal with your weirdness on that and you can deal with mine on this yeah yeah and hopefully not spin down too much of a weird rabbit hole just yeah. like yeah Present kind of a unified front. Yeah. Complete each other, I guess they say. Exactly. Yeah. You complete me. I should write a. I should write a. I should write a relationships book. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It, yeah, I'll I'll write the forward if you want. Uh, I'll be the I'll be the. Hey, I wish I would have read this before I got married because boy did I fail. <laughs> um, where do we go with that? Uh, us middle-aged men sitting in a cafe. I'm getting, the, I'm getting the theme song going. Us middle-aged men sitting in a cafe. Did you ever see that TV series, uh, Men of a Certain Age? Ray Romano was in it. I did not, no. I, I'm just throwing this at you like it's a Jeopardy thing. I'm sorry. That's okay. I was thinking about the, the it was an SNL skit. with I think it was Phil Hartman. It was like middle-aged man. Really? Do you remember? If this, no. so, yeah, this was like my, when I was a teenager it was yeah. on. But it was, yeah, and it had kind of the theme song was kind of like a caveman type of thing. Like, middle-aged man, no, 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 no. <laughs> And he, and he had this, a guy that was just named Drinking Buddy, and they'd like oh, groan yeah. together and stuff. Yeah, it was it was funny. That's that's where I'm, that's where my head's going with this. Right, right. Yeah. Now there's a marriage that didn't work out. Jesus, man, <laughs> I still get sad about Phil Hartman every now I and then. Too. I like there's a comedic, uh, British guy named um, I can see it, Matt Berry, yeah. um, who he's on. He's been around for a long time. He's kind of an alternative comedian. He's on that What We Do in the Shadows show. And he has that same kind of Troy McClure voice, like that TV announcer voice, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, is this guy like, the, is this guy our consolation prize for losing Phil Hartman? Oh, but not that Matt Berry is, he's awesome. Yeah, yeah it just, it started hitting me that he has a, some Phil Hartman qualities, and that might be why I like him. I like comedy a lot. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, comedy, I think, saves us. Only Today, it's almost like commentary is our, um, 
is, is our not only our relief, but how we kind of get information ciphered to us without, you know, talking heads on the news. <laughs> you're just sitting there going, whoa, you don't know what you're talking about either. So. Yeah, you get it. You, if you get it through a certain filter, it, it feels different. If it, yeah. It, yeah, and it's, it's it's kind of presented with a certain remove. Right. You can. I, I think it's easy. I find that sometimes it's easier to like parse, you know, kind of pick apart the perspective versus the information that's being shared, and even for my own perspective, if the perspective or the bias is so obvious. Yeah. Yeah. And what I love about well, I just I love the art of. Con- I, I feel like comedians and novelists um, are they. We, we're the ones that we, our name is on the cover or our, it's only us. Mm-hmm. So we have to stand behind everything with our book or as they do with their act. And so that you, it's almost like they have to be in a really good place to hit some of the hard points in comedy. It has to come from a place of, um, of like a pure heart and then go, okay, now why this fucked up human condition? And then now how do I d- dive into that? Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah I, think, I think you're right. I mean, I also think it's, I think about that with, with music also sometimes with like, it, it, it's hard to do, to, to, to rap or to tell a joke. And it's like, if you're, the baseline that you're coming from is somewhere fucked up and that's going to work its way in pretty quick. Yeah. Like, I need something that rhymes with this. Hey, I'll say something homophobic. Right. Um, I need a joke. Wait, let's just shit on women again. You know, it's right, like, right. yeah, yeah, I, I, you, I think you're right. You have to be coming from a good place. Yeah. And I think coming from a good place or coming from an obviously fucked up place that gives you a, a lot of leeway in my eyes you know yeah, yeah. it's yeah it's because i've been trying to understand it too or especially with it's like when i'm writing something i'm like why why am i writing this i do have to write the very fucked up stuff i have to go to my very dark places and my first drafts well you know if 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 they were made public i would just be sent to an institution but but i have to you know i have to craft those and go wait a second why do i hit those dark places what is it about me then i can come back around and rework i don't know if that's this this is if i don't know you may not have the same mileage no i mean i get all the manias on the page and then i also it's uh, you know find good readers that you can trust that will understand when something is fucked up or offensive and be like but not and That'll help steer me in the right direction yeah. without throwing me under the bus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it's, yeah, and that's, I mean, and that's, we got to go to those dark places, I think, because we're human. Mm-hmm. It's just like, and I, 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 I tell my students all the time, I'm like, you know, those like deep shitty thoughts you have, guess what? Those go into characters. And, <laughs> and it, because we all have dark shitty thoughts and then. But what do we do with those dark, shitty thoughts? And how do our characters maneuver them? And what happens to those characters as a result of those? Or do they change? And then that's how we can explore them. Yeah, and they, they, look, a lot, they look a lot different on the page than, when they're, than they sound when they're bouncing around in your head. I even find that with like sharing, you know, in something I'm writing, sharing something that might be, seem humiliating or seem really hard to share. Like once I write it down, it's like, oh, this is probably actually going to get a laugh if I ever read it out loud. <laughs> Yeah. Well, what's great about if it if it embarrasses you and humiliates you, it probably embarrasses and humiliates everybody, but they can live vicariously through us. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, this is this is the guy that admitted it, so I don't have to, and I can right. enjoy I can enjoy watching him show his ass. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, look, look at that weird hairy ass, and they're in the, as they're sitting there, and they got the weird hairy ass too, but they get to laugh at they get to laugh at ours. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's essentially what being a writer is: laughing at our, laughing at our own hairy asses, and then letting other people laugh at them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, I showed my weird hairy ass, so you wouldn't have to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
And with that, Chris, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Yeah, thank you, Tony. Um, thanks for having me on. I had a good time. Yeah. Chris L. Terry on Drinks with Tony. Check out his new novel, Black Card, out now on Soft Skull Press. Feel free to rate Drinks with Tony on whatever platform you're receiving your podcast. Enjoy even more episodes from the archives and come back next week when we converse with another storyteller about all things life. Remember, we like to not only have a self-help narrative here, we like to balance it with self-harm. Or, as the Buddha says, keep a balanced life, dude. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week.